0: Welcome to the Disc Collective Podcast. We're glad you could join us. I'm Greg Lambert, founder of Intrinsic Therapeutics and one of the inventors of the Barricade annular closure device. In this podcast, you're going to be hearing from spine surgeons we've met in our travels around the world. In particular, from experts who are trying to optimize outcomes for their patients with lumbar disc herniations while preserving the remaining disc tissue. In this interview series, Beating the Odds of Reherniation, you'll hear from Dr. Pierce Nunley, director of the Spine Institute of Louisiana, and Professor Claudius Tomei, the Director of Neurosurgery at the University of Innsbruck, Austria. You're listening to Chapter 1, Clinical Need. So without further ado, let's hear from these two great spine surgeons.
1: Well, good morning, everybody, and really pleasure to to be here and be with my colleague, Claudius Tomei, from Innsbruck. He's a professor and chairman of neurosurgery. Amazing, amazing neurosurgeon. I have to say, Claudius, I've passed by you in different meetings but we've never really had personal conversation and it's interesting in the in this day and age of covid to have our first academic conversation be uh literally across the pond and such a great thing you may have seen in my cv i actually uh, did some training in basel switzerland under professors dick and genre a so I have a great, and I've been in Germany and operated not in your hospital, but in other hospitals. So uh, I really appreciate my international friends. But for those that don't know, Dr. Temay, I mean his CV is just two, almost 250 uh, peer-reviewed publications, half of which he sponsored. His training is really superior. Stanford, you were under Dr. Jurgen Harms, and and then also the Barrow Institute and the Mayfield Clinic. So. For those that, that don't know, Dr. Tomei, he's quite an intellect, quite a surgeon, and it's really an honor to have you here and to be able to have this conversation with you one-on-one. So to kick this off, I mean, we're here to talk about, obviously this whole process of disc herniation and then surgery and re-herniation. And what is the best way to treat a disc herniation and, and more importantly, you know, what dive down a little bit into what are the risks of using annular closure devices, particularly the barricade, and more importantly, I think we're going to find out what are the risks if we don't. So as an outline for those that are watching, we are going to basically going through five different topics. One is what is the clinical need? The other is patient population. Third is preventing disability. Fourth, annular closure treatment. And fifth, with the surgical treatment, do we burn any bridges? We'll be talking about techniques and then maybe at the end, kind of some summary of comments that that, that come up during the podcast. So good morning, Claudius, and glad to have you. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your history with the Barricade device.
2: Well, Piers, thanks a lot. Thanks for those two nice words. It's a great pleasure to be on this with you. I've already obviously known that you've been in Switzerland and with some of the big European guys and traveled quite a bit. It's a shame we haven't met for a long period of time personally, but I'm sure we'll do that in the future. My CV basically has been that I was involved with spine surgery early on. I did a fellowship with Jürgen Harms and did many operations thereafter with him because I was a neurosurgeon close by where he was practicing. And so we are still good friends and i've been involved with many studies looking at less invasive treatments and and even as a resident we started out actually my boss kind of brought that up why do we always go into the nucleus and do a discectomy why not just take the fragment and that's where it all started more than 20 years ago and i've been involved with this since then trying to minimize the damage we do and Quite a long time ago, I got involved with Intrinsic by chance at one of the American meetings that I ended up to meet Greg Lamprecht, and we were talking about annular closure, that this would be a good idea, et cetera, et cetera. And, and that's how I've been following the evolution of Barricade. And this ended up in our big European study on on the device. So so it's a long history. And I'm, I'm gr- grateful to the company, actually, that they kind of also followed somewhat the advice of, of us not to just throw out something in, on the market, but really to go and look for evidence, look for which patient to select, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah,
1: that's a great introduction, and and I will say from my perspective, a lot of my research has also been in in disc, and and you know even like you say, twenty years ago we started doing fragmentectomies and looking at re herniation rates, and we'll get into that a little bit later, but. Let's first kind of, um, you know, uh, evidence-based medicine is really where we're about. And so I think part of defining a need is really looking at the evidence that we have for that in the literature. You know, there's this paper that was put out by Brooke Martin talking about the clinical need when we look at that. And so in this paper, the lumbar discectomy outcomes are great in 80% of the patients, but there was significant amount of reoperation rates. Can you talk a little bit about you know, what, what do you perceive based on this paper as a clinical need? Yeah,
2: basically, as, as spine surgeons, we tend to think that all our disc patients do perfect or do very well. And right. if you talk to your peers, they always tell you, well, I don't have any problems. I don't need to reoperate them. I don't see what you guys are seeing. And and we all believe that. And if you talk about reoperation rates in the literature of maybe six to eight percent everybody says well that's okay i'm i'm a little better but nobody really believes that the results are below ninety percent and if you look at all the studies out there all the big 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 registries right it's simply 75 percent right. very good results the sports study and was a great example of that yes absolutely and and it, may it be fusion later on may it be reherniation later on you name it, but those patients don't all do as well as we think. And I was, I was really surprised, like everybody, by Kerrigey's study quite a while ago now, stating that as this subpopulation of patients with the big hole in the analysts would have up to a 30% reanimation rate. And I was saying exactly the same. This is not true, and and I wouldn't have this. And it was interesting, to five hundred plus study for for the barricade, that we ended up with exactly the same reanimation rate. Right, and none of the investigators thought this would be the case.
1: Well, and, and to your point, discectomy really hasn't changed in our career a great deal as far as training. Now, now let's talk a little bit about this idea of doing a just fragmentectomy versus Going and grabbing some more fragments versus really kind of scraping the end plates and doing a complete disc exoneration. Talk to us a little bit about what are the differences in those and, and what do you perceive as the issues?
2: Yeah. Well, when I was trained in in the 90s, basically you were told that after taking the fragments, you go in the disc with your pituitary rongeur and just take out at least the loose fragments. And if you did that, at the end, you would always have the hole that's as big as your pituitary rongeur. So it's going to be at least five millimeters, quite often bigger than that. Right. And and I remember when we did the randomized study in the 90s comparing fragmentectomy versus microdiscectomy. It was only me and my boss doing, doing the, the surgeries. I mean, the first time I, I, I saw a little hole in the analyst and I didn't go in, it, it felt completely wrong to do this and i i had to pull my hand back not to take the pituitary ranger inside correct and 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 i think this happens to a lot of people but we've learned like if there's no annular defect or you don't see a big annular defect i mean just leave it i mean you're going to make it worse you're going to make it worse if you if you if you um, open up the annulus or take parts of the analyst. And the idea that some surgeons tell me, oh, I do this slit-like opening and then I, I take a small pituitary and this is going to be so much less invasive. At the end, once you have a pituitary in there, there's a big hole in there. Big meaning four or five millimeters minimum.
1: Correct. So um, so in this uh, study they were talking about, there was 25.7% of reoperation involving fusion surgery. So um, what is your thoughts about re-herniation and fusion surgery versus the patient not having
2: a re-herniation and having a fusion? Yeah. Uh, yes, that's probably the most important question at all. Because um, as a surgeon, particularly if I'm in private practice, it may actually be a good idea. The patient comes back after three to five years and needs a fusion. Um, if, because then you will. It, it, it may not even be bad for you. But but for the patient, I'm absolutely convinced. If you destroy the disc, you're gonna accelerate this degeneration. You're gonna have loss of disc height. You're gonna have probably even more facet joint problems, and and there are some studies showing that. Correct. Um, I, I think hardly every anybody nowadays really scrapes the end plates. But in, if you are an aggressive, if you do an aggressive microdiscectomy. You're actually gonna remove quite a bit of the remaining or residual disc material, and um, from all the studies that are out, there and also my personal experience, this will cause potential problems. And if you do this in a 30, 40 year old, um, and this is how old our disc patients are, with the high discs, um, then if they need a fusion, even after 10 years, it may not be quickly, but after 10 years, and we all know about Having to reoperate them for adjacent segment disease, et cetera, et cetera. It's still an unsolved problem in spine surgery. So, if you can avoid this, I think this is much more important than avoiding a reherniation. So, I've right. been trying to be less invasive far be- before barricade. Um, and I kind of told my patient and still do that now um, I'd rather be not that aggressive and have a 10 or maybe even 15% chance to reoperate you in the next two to five years because of a recurrent disc. I'd rather accept this risk for on your behalf, let's put it that way, or on the patient's behalf, rather than being very aggressive and risking degeneration and maybe a fusion in the years to come. So
1: so it's interesting you're making a point. Uh, again, uh, We we haven't talked about this before, but I feel like I'm listening to myself. Um, so, uh, because everything you said is exactly the same. If I don't see a hole, if I don't see, um, uh, I don't make a hole. I don't make things worse. You know, um, uh, you know that we have this saying in training, and I know there's a German counterpart to it that uh, uh, the enemy of good is better. And so, when you take the fragment out, and the and the pressure's off the nerve, and the nerve is mobile. And there's a little tiny hole and you can't get your smallest pituitary even into it it's like we're done um but you know you talk about this disability cascade is really what we're we're talking about and you know uh paper really i think brought that out that was published in 2019 that shows you know when you do these aggressive discectomies there's definitely an an increase in that in an acceleration of this disability cascade that you talked about and and these, these patients that we see that you hear these stories, I had one operation then another operation and another operation, and all of us as surgeons would like to avoid that. And I think the other point that's interesting to make is, you know, you and I are both talking about how we're trying to do less, but we're also talking about the Barricade device and, and putting an implant in, which I think um, we need to kind of uh, shade some color on as, as we go through this. For now, we'll uh, say thank you to everybody for uh, paying attention and uh, take care and uh, have a great day and everybody be safe.
0: Stay tuned to hear from the experts on the high risk patient next time on chapter two. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe wherever you're listening. To watch the entire interview, head over to youtube.com forward slash barricade. Thanks, Dr. Nunley and Professor Tomei. And thank you for listening and for helping us build a world where lumbar disc herniation doesn't define lives. To download a copy of the publication synopsis, visit barricade.com and click the Publish Clinical Evidence section, or contact your local representative for a print brochure. Barricade is indicated for reducing the incidence of re-herniation and reoperation in skeletally mature patients with radiculopathy, with or without back pain, attributed to a posterior or posterior lateral herniation and confirmed by history, physical examination, and imaging studies which demonstrate neural compression using MRI to treat a large annular defect between 4 and 6 millimeters tall and between 6 and 10 millimeters wide, following a primary discectomy procedure at a single level between L4 and S1. All medical devices have risks. Please refer to barricade.com instructions for a full list of benefit and risk information. U.S. law restricts this device to sale by or on the order of a physician. The guests on this podcast are consultants of Intrinsic Therapeutics. Until next time on the Discollective Podcast.